Nichols and You, a show produced by the Department of Mass Communication in the Bob Glazer Studios of Canishu TV, part of the DeSalvo College Media Center here on campus. On Nichols and You, we discuss public affairs issues and events with the faculty and staff of Nichols. I'm your host, James Stewart. Joining me today is a 23-year veteran of the Nichols faculty, Dr. Raj Bhupathi, who is an Alce Forche Professor of Biology and an Environmental and Microbiology uh, and public health uh, expert. Welcome to the show. Good to, good to be here. Thanks, um, You might not think that a biologist would have a lot to do with uh, hurricanes, but uh, you know we think of them as wind and water events, but there's a lot of biology involved in, in the aftermath of hurricanes. That's, that's correct. Yeah, we, uh, when, when a hurricane hits, um, you know, first thing people find out is, um, you know, the water issues and um, microorganisms in the environment that can cause some public health problem. Yes. Well, and let's talk about that a little bit because when we, you know, we think about water issues, we usually think about storm surge and, and broken levees and things like that, but you're talking about when the water uh, distribution system starts to fail or is, is uh, impacted in some way. So what are some of the concerns there? That, that's uh, that's correct. Um, the, most of the time, when there is a hurricane event, um, there's sometimes there's a pipeline break. Uh, when that happens, uh, water pressure goes down. Mm -hmm. So they uh, they have to maintain a positive pressure in the water line. Otherwise, um, the pipeline uh, microorganism, especially bacteria in the soil, can get in the water if it is negative pressure. So. That was a, one of the major uh, public health problem when you have uh, uh, water line breaks. Um, so that can uh, impact people's public health. People and I'm assuming things like when pumps don't have power uh, to generate the pressure, or as you say, when a pipe breaks or something like that, that creates that. Yeah, most of the time uh, when the big tree up, uh, fell down, mm -hmm. the roots can you know, disrupt the pipe. And that's a major cause of pipeline breaking during the storm. In terms of alerts that people are listening for, are there are there differences between warnings and, and advisories? What's the difference between those sorts of notifications? Yeah, the the warning is asked by a Clean Water Act of federal government. If the, if there is a you know problem um, as per mandate, the local government authority has to issue um, advisory. That is totally between federal government and local government. But the advisory is when there is a, a problem within 24 hours, the local government has to issue advisory if there is a pressure okay. issue. And when, let's suppose, because in the immediate aftermath of a storm uh, or during a storm, sometimes we don't necessarily even have access to information, right? Mm -hmm. The television stations go out, you may not have a radio handy. Um, so is it a good tip when you notice a decrease in water pressure, stop using the water? Yeah, yeah that's a good plan. Yeah. Yeah, and people should, you know, um, should realize that when, when there is a real drop in water pressure, then um, they can, you know, as a warning, they have to start boil, boiling the water. That's yeah. a good advice. So, yeah. Well, so, so when we notice these things or when we hear these advisories, what steps can we take to make the water as safe as possible for use? I mean, obviously, you can't microwave the water because you probably no. don't have power. That's right. That's right. Yeah, the main thing is uh, you have to boil the water for uh, cooking and, you know, brushing teeth and um, other major activity that you do at home. Uh, the rule of thumb is you bring the water to rolling boil for one minute mm -hmm. and then cool down and use that water. Right. Uh, so that's the rule of thumb the government issues. So you need to have at least one minute of boiling. Right. Yeah. So, and you know, this is assuming that people have 
a method, you know, if you have an electric stove, you may be out of luck because you can't heat the water. But what about uh, some people may, you know, go to the store or their campers or whatever, and they can buy these tablets for water purification. Is that an yeah. option? That, 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 that's uh, if you don't have a resource to, you know, boil the water, that's another option that uh, usually the unscented bleach, mm -hmm. uh, you keep it um, per, you know, one teaspoon per gallon of water and mix it and leave it there for 30 minutes. Mm -hmm. And um, that, that's um, okay to use right. that water for drinking and cooking. Okay, so you can, if you put the bleach in there, you can actually drink that water. Yeah, it, I mean, it's it, not it, that's, yeah, <laughs> yeah, you can, but you, had, you know, people yeah. have done that. Right. Uh, that's the government, one of the advisory, you can do that, right. you know, you can, uh, if the water is not uh, cloudy, mm -hmm. if the water is clear, mm -hmm. uh, but it, you, you don't have a resource to boil it, then right. you can put unscented right. bleach, one teaspoon per gallon, and leave it for 30 minutes to uh, bleach to work, and then you can use that. Yeah. And I'm assuming the best option here is that if, if, you're, if you have to resort for that to that, using bleach in the water, you probably shouldn't be drinking that, but it, you would be using that for washing clothes, washing dishes, those sorts of things. Yeah, the, uh, washing clothes and dish, uh, dish, I mean, you can wash clothes uh, with, uh, uh, with detergent without boiling, that, that's not a problem, but the dishes, yes, washing dishes and uh, brushing teeth, all that is okay. But you can, and, you know, in, in eventual, um, uh, you know, in the end, you can also drink. It should be okay if the bleached water. Okay. Yeah. And so, you know, ideally, you would have access to some sort of stored bottled water or something that's like true. for drinking. Yeah, that's preferable. Yeah. Uh, if all else fails, you know, bleach yeah. will work. People right. have done that. And um, but make sure the water is clear. If the water right. is cloudy, you need to filter the water and then bleach it. So. So one of the questions that we get sometimes from people is, can you use hand sanitizer to get rid of parasites in, in water and stuff like that? So yes, hand sanitizers work. It's a very efficient, 90, 99% of um, microbial um, um, pathogen can be removed using hand sanitizer yeah. for cleaning, yes. So when we talk about water safety, uh, you know, a lot of people have pets. What about their pets? Can they drink? Usually uh, pets, are more tolerable than uh, humans, so pets can drink the water. But um, but I recommend you you give bottled water to pets as well because pets are like your family members. So, right. yeah, yeah, sure. yeah. And so you mentioned earlier that it's okay to to um, to do the laundry and things like that. But what about bathing? Um, bathing is okay as long as you know you have good soap to uh, you know clean the you know your, you have a hot water. Um, if you have, and also bathing is allowed with um, with the water there, with the low water pressure, you're okay. But don't uh, ingest the water. That's the main thing. Avoid getting water into your body. It so we're uh, this is the first week in October. So I'm not sure when people online will be watching this. But at this point, have you talked to anybody in terms of where we are in, in the recovery of the water system? I mean, we're back to where. The water is drinkable and we don't have to boil it and things like that by this point? I think uh, most of the water system around Thibodeau, Ohio area are, are you know, back uh, to normal use now because the water pressure is you know, already maintained. Uh, so you can, you can tell when you run the water um, if it is coming full pressure. But the government regulation is 30 to 70 PSI per pressure per square inch. Mm -hmm. Um, so that you can tell when you open that uh, tap, you water gush out. That, that's right. normal. But, um, but I think most of those in this area are back to normal uh, water pressure.
And just for our audience, um, you know, your department, and, and I know you have mm -hmm. been involved for years with students, and you go out and you do water testing. So yes. this is, is something you guys are pretty familiar with in terms of the, the safety of the water in this That's area. That's correct. We are equipped to do water microbiology. We test uh, for coliform bacteria, uh, fecal coliform, total coliform, and other common infectious bacteria in the water. So we are equipped to do that. And uh, we also monitor biolafouche as part of a research project for uh, any um, unusual microbial activity. Yeah. So it, going uh, forward in the, say, the next couple of months or something, I assume this is something that health ex experts will continue to monitor to see if there was some sort of long-term damage to the to the water system and, and so that, the, you know, make sure there aren't any. Uh, yeah, that, that is uh, it's part of that. Uh, we are also doing that. We monitor the intake water into the drinking water uh, treatment plant uh, as part of a long-term monitoring of, um, you know, by Lafourche. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, another uh, significant issue that people have after a storm that I think is, as time is going on, we realize how important an issue that is, but is, is mold in mm -hmm. the aftermath. So, you know, down here we have a very humid environment under the best of conditions. It's held in check by air conditioning systems, but when that's not functional or if you get water into your home, then mold becomes a problem. Yes, mold um, is very opportunistic um, uh, organisms. Molds are around us in and uh, inside and outside, but uh, when the conditions are right, like when it is damp and, um, and, um, in, and there is no, as you said, air conditioning, um, when um, you know, moisture is really high and it prefers to eat the, we call cellulose, which is a paper product. Mm -hmm. Most of our homes inside are, you know, the, the wall is made up of, um, you know, paper fiber. So they, they like to grow on them, so you can easily spot them. They, most of them are called black mold and, um, and they start, started with spot and then they started to grow and they multiply. So most of the time, um, and the black mold called stachybotrys is the name of the mold. That is a common black toxic mold people are familiar with. So you had to remove them. You need to wear protective clothes and you cut right. the sheetrock and remove them. So. And, and I know this can get pretty complicated, but as simply as possible, what, when we say mold, what exactly are we talking about? What sort of organism is it? It's a fungi. Uh, fungi are um, several thousand species of them out there. So one of the common one is aspergillus, the blood bread mold they call it. When you have uh, bread sitting there in the environment, you get the black uh, fussy thing growing on the bread. That is uh, aspergillus. Uh, similar to that, uh, this black mold we call it is the um, same kind of fungi. Uh, you are um, probably surprised to know the yeast that we use to make bread, it is a fungi. Mm -hmm. And the mushroom meat, it's a fungi. So these belong to uh, a group of organisms called fungi. But uh, these molds, um, specific molds that we are talking about can cause problems because um, they produce a toxin called mycotoxin. Mm -hmm. And mycotoxin, when they get into your uh, nose and lungs, and it causes problems. In fact, I think penicillin originally that's right. Penicillin is a mold, yeah. and we, we get antibiotic from penicillin. Yeah. Yeah. So, right. But so, as you were saying, there are a number of different species of mold, mm -hmm. um, a lot of them, but you know, some fairly common ones we may encounter. I assume the safest assumption is in your home or whatever, assume that it's a toxic variety and get someone to come in and inspect it and try to mitigate the impact of it, correct? Uh, most of the time, uh, if in a normal living condition, your mold uh, your situation has no problem. But if you have leaky water pipes, 
um, a moisture accumulating uh, in a wet carpet. And those are the conditions the mold started to multiply. So, so if you have child or family members have uh, allergy, uh, then it's better to have someone come and inspect the home for right. more. Yeah. And I think um, some air conditioning refrigeration units will check your ducts for you, and then there are a number of uh, groups out there. And by the way, uh, once again for our audience at home, some of this information uh, we'll try to post on our website, uh, but you mentioned earlier the CDC, the EPA website. Yeah, those are good resources. Yeah. Resources yeah. that would be available. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but you know, there, there would be some agencies and, and probably local contractors could come in and say, and do inspections and, and what That's right. There are some special companies that can uh, deal with removing mold. Um, and also, they advise to put um, HEPA filters that are supposed to trap the spores of the mold. Right. So, yeah. And I know we're all anxious in the, in the aftermath of an event like this to begin restoration as soon as possible. And so some people may be pulling out their own sheet rock and insulation and stuff. Would wearing some sort of a mask while they're doing that and gloves, would that be of benefit? Yes, it's always advisable to wear protective um, equipment like, you know, mask and gloves and, you know, cover your um, clothing um, because the spores can get into your skin and then when you touch your nose and you know mouth the spores right. can get into your ear. if it gets into your lung then it, it cannot have it's irritant it's going to have reaction your body going to react you have watery um, nose and runny, runny nose and watery eye all that problem and would eye protection be useful as well yeah I always advise to wear yeah safety goggles and yeah. okay. Okay. We're going to take a break for a moment, uh, and when we come back, we'll continue our discussion with Dr. Raj Bhupathi from the, uh, the biology department here at, at Nichols. All right, that's good. Nichols? Do you love football? Do you have a kernel card? Then you can get in free to any Nichols home football game by showing your kernel card at the gate. Come to the game, get in free, and cheer on your kernels to victory. For more information about home football games, visit GoKernels.com. 
the special uh, Hurricane Ida edition of Nichols and You, a, a public affairs uh, production of the Department of Mass Communication and the Colonel Media Group. I'm your host, James Stewart, and once again, I'm talking to Dr. Raj Bhupathi, uh, an Alsei Forche professor of biological sciences. Um, and, you know, so we've talked about the water, which is kind of a in the moment thing, and mm -hmm. we talked about mold, which is you know, a little bit beyond that. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't quite stop there then, does it? Because you, then you have all this standing water and puddles that you may not typically have. Yeah. And then we have the mosquito issue. That's right, that's so, right. Yeah. yeah, I mean, uh, once you have a little bit of water stagnant in your yard, um, to, you, within 24 to 48 hours, you'll have this mosquito uh, problem. They will just, right. um, um, they'll just multiply and they're going to come. But most of the time, these are called nuisance mosquitoes. Mm -hmm. they, they, you know, they, they hang around for at least a week or two, and mm -hmm. then they disappear. Mm -hmm. But if they persist more than two weeks, then it's a concern because they can spread disease. So, right. so these, um, the, I, commonly they call um, nuisance mosquitoes that they come and you know, uh, take the blood meal and they go back right. and you know, finish their life right. cycle. But if they persist more than two weeks, then, then we, we should be very careful about a lot of disease. And public health agencies in the immediate aftermath of a storm are not able to uh, continue some of their mitigation efforts that they might have existed. But there are things that people can do, because I understand that the mosquitoes from where they breathe, and they don't need much water to breathe, like a, 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 a plant that maybe has a little water in it, but they stay within a certain distance of that. So you can help by cleaning up some standing water in your in your yard. Right? Exactly. You can prevent those um, you know breeding ground for the mosquitoes. So most of the mosquitoes they lay in water, but uh, some some other mosquitoes can lay near the water's edge or in the soil. Mm -hmm. When flood uh, occurs the the eggs are developing to mosquitoes. So if you have a small puddle of water in in your in a in a flower bed and pots and you know anything that can collect water, you just you can remove and prevent uh, mosquito breeding. So that you can avoid that. And also after after the storm, you just wear protective clothing from mosquito bite, just a general safeguard, and also wear mosquito repellent is okay too. Yeah. And so. I, we don't talk about this maybe as much as we would have 40, 50, 60, 70 years ago or in certain parts of the world today, but what are some of the um, illnesses that we need to be concerned about from mosquito bites? Um, it's, it's spreading everywhere because of international travel. Uh, people are coming all over the, you know, from all over the world. So most of the common one now people worried about uh, from mosquito bite are West Nile virus, and dinghy and chicken gunya and um, you know, eastern um, encephal encephalitis. And so those are some of the common one. Now recently we have Zika virus from, you know, Brazil uh, four years ago now. It's it, it, it's getting bigger in Florida and some other southern states. So, um, so those are all you need is few people that have this virus in the community, mm -hmm. and this, when this mosquito breeds and you know feeds on the people and then come and bite you and take a blood meal, then it can spread to you know right. wider population. Right. So the process then would be as much as you can if you remove standing water from your property and, and keep it as dry as possible, I guess, Yeah, wear protective clothing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, just prevent uh, mosquito breeding grounds around your house and then avoid uh, mosquito um, uh, bites by wearing protective clothing. And, 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 and I also recommend, you know, mosquito repellent if you have to work outdoor to remove your debris, you know. Yeah. Right. And today the mosquito repair, uh, um, 
repellents that are on the market. I assume they've been tested and they should be safe. You know, the, yeah. the, I don't want to mention any name brands, but yeah. Yeah, most of them contain uh, the DEET, which is a common chemical. But we also have a, a natural product like um, eucalyptus oil, lemon oil, um, all those uh, natural products are also available. And I've noticed, uh, and I had planted in my yard for a while, you can get the uh, citronella plants, mm -hmm. and there's some other uh, plants that you can plant around your property that would limit That's right. Mosquitoes. These plants put some volatile organic compounds naturally, and they, they repel mosquitoes uh, around close uh, proximity to the plant. Yeah. Right. And then, you know, my personal experience is that as the sun starts going down, it's probably a good idea to go inside and shut right. the doors. Exactly. That's when the mosquito um, activity increases yeah. during uh, dusk. Yeah. Right. So from a biological standpoint, are there any other implications of a storm like that that we may see two, three, four months out into the future? Um, yes. Uh, most of the time, it's... Uh, uh, if you don't mitigate uh, like a mold problem and um, um, and if you get a mosquito bite and you didn't you know you have fever and stuff you need to take care of yourself but sometimes the virus can linger and then it can cause problem later and the other issue we talk about is when you remove debris you also have to be careful with the poison ivy some people are um, allergic to poison ivy so those, those are some other problems yeah so and what about one last question what about as the uh, governments in the area collect some of this debris. Are there any concerns with how we dispose of the debris and where we put it? And I mean, because we could be creating some sort of biological hazards as we clean things up. Yeah, most of the time they, they, they kind of bury them you know, in a big pile and um, they, uh, that's mainly composting. Uh, eventually they degrade. These are all organic material, natural product, but it takes a long time to biodegrade. Uh, but the same fungus we are talking about, bacteria, fungus, they are the one that degrade those uh, um, debris into, you know, carbon dioxide. So, um, so that's not a, a big problem. But if you started to burn this, then that could be an air pollution problem. So, so some, most of the time they have a, um, you know, public um, ban for burning the um, debris in your yard because you don't have air pollution. So, yeah. so it's not a good idea to do your own debris burning. That's right. Of course, right. you also have the fire safety issues and, and things of that That's nature. That's true. So. That's true. All right. Well, uh, thank you, Dr. Papi, for joining us today. And once again, I'm your host, James Stewart, and you've been listening to a special Hurricane Ida edition of Nichols and You. I want to uh, offer a special thanks to my assistant producer, uh, Lance Arnold, um, and join us next time we do Nichols and You.